for just a few minutes about what is God looking for? What is God looking for? And you, as I begin to think about how God looks at us, there's a verse that came to my mind in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. And it says, He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites. And then it goes on to say in this verse, A head taller than any of the others. Let me read this again. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning, but all of us, I believe, would raise our hand if I asked you this morning if you've ever looked at somebody else that was taller if you're short or maybe thinner if you're overweight or, or the other way around, you'd like to be more you're thin and you'd like to be a little heavier, or you don't like the way you look, or somebody else has something that you don't have, or they look a certain way that you don't look, all of us, I believe, would say, yep, that's me. I, I, I do that. I, I look at other people and I think, man, I wish I had their body, or I wish I had their face, or I wish I had their family, or I wish I had their things. We, we have that kind of inside of us, amen? We have that, that desire that other people have, things that other people had. I also wonder how many of us have ever stood in front of the mirror and looked at that mirror and a matter of fact, it's kind of a dumb question because most of us would say this because I would say very few of us here this morning are looking in our physical bodies like we would look to, like to look. I, I, I doubt very, very seriously that very many people woke up, woke up this morning and were looking at the mirror and thinking, man, I got, oh, man, I'm telling you, I should be on a magazine. I mean, I just doubt that anybody did that. Now, now, one thing is being confident, you know. I kind of, I say stuff a lot of times around my wife and daughters. That's why she's laughing so much. But it's just for my own confidence, amen. I don't really think I'm that handsome or anything, but it's, if I don't get compliments from somebody else, you got to compliment yourself, right? Say, man, I look good, you know. And so you got to keep up your self-esteem. But I doubt that anybody was like, wow, I need to stop working out so much, you know. I need to eat more or whatever, but when we look in the mirror, there's a thing and an appearance that we look for in our physical eyes. And, and all of us are that way. And I thought about uh, Don Knotts. How many of you ever know Don Knotts is uh, from Andy Griffith? Yeah. In a bunch of old shows. He was Barney Fife in the Andy, old Andy Griffith show. And uh, he made a statement one time after one of his movies. He said, what I need is a body transplant. <laughs> right? Some people are like, I need a body transplant. So we, we begin to think of the exterior. Don't we live in that kind of a day-to-day? -day? That everything is appearance and everything, except if you go to Walmart. Then it's, not, then, then it's kind of the other way around, right? So if I go to Walmart, I'm going to put my pajamas on, and, you know, that's, that's the other extreme. But everything's about appearance. We have lots of screenshots, lots of snapshots, lots of selfies today. Amen. Everybody's posting things. And then we have the advantage of filters. See, if you don't look good, you just spend a few minutes on there and change the lighting a little bit, brush your face up a little bit, all kinds of stuff that you can do to look good. Amen. I know nobody does that here. But I began to think about some of the cultural things. Okay, just stay with me here for a second. That that people think are beautiful or neat or important. So I read some things. For example, in Africa, now remember Africa has lots of countries. Um, there, there, they, there's certain tribes that think a beautiful woman 
is one whose lower lip has been stretched out to 12 inches in diameter. They, have you ever seen those pictures? Right? They got the, it's like a plate to, from their lip. And, and that's, that to us looks absolutely crazy. And, and then there's other ones that have the real, real, real long stretched out earlobes and things hanging there. They, that's because they think that that looks, that looks cool, I guess, or pretty. And that seems crazy to us in our culture. Um, although some of our people in our culture have grabbed onto that, right, and, and starting to put those big old gauges in. And if you're thinking about getting a gauge this morning, um, don't. <laughs> because you will eventually look like Dumbo. Because those earlobes will not go back. That's one of the parts of the body that doesn't grow back. So you, if you do, you might want to think about what you're going to look like when you're 60. Amen? And so these are certain things that, uh, that, the, that our, our cultures do. I was reading about the Mayan Indians. They have a thought in their culture that a beautifully long, elongated head is beautiful. And so when a baby is born, they, while the skull is still soft and pliable... They take two boards and put one on each side, squeeze it together and tie it up, and until it gets to a place where their head actually, as it grows, grows up, and their heads are long and elongated, that to them is a beautiful thing. Another one is the Asian culture. Maybe, maybe many of you have seen this picture where they got the really, really long necks. Have you ever seen that? And they got all the rings. It says in their culture that at the age of two, they begin to wear neck coils around their neck. And that length of that coil can get up to as many as 20 turns. And so like their neck actually, actually grows almost like a giraffe. It says the weight of the coils will eventually place sufficient pressure on the clavicles to cause them to deform and create the impression of a longer neck. In their society, they think that that is beautiful. I began to think about... The last hundred years, you know, there was a time, now it seems like all the models are super skinny, right? they got to be super skinny and not have an ounce of fat. There was a time when men liked a little meat on the woman's bones. They were a little bit heavier, and that was pretty. There was a time, believe it or not, not in our day, but where ankles were sexy. Ankles. Yeah, ankles. And so they had to make sure that they'd cover them up so no one could see their ankles. I don't know about you, but I've never been attracted to an ankle. And then there's certain religions and people who are, you know, really put an emphasis on clothes and they make sure that people wear long sleeves. Elbows have never, never given me any kind of desire at all. Amen. There's nothing pretty about an elbow. But these are just weird things that we start to think of. What is God looking for? How many know everything I just mentioned is not what God is looking for? God looks for something totally different in us, and I want to look at that this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, we know that obviously that's not what God is looking for, those things that I mentioned, but what is God looking for? Sometimes we think, God, are you looking for talent? God, are you looking at my ability? God, are you looking at me more because I can sing good? God, are you looking at me more because I have money? God, are you looking at me more? And all these things we can put in. But I want to show you some things this morning from the Word that I think are really important. And right before we read 1 Samuel 16, uh, everybody knows that we've got the Bible verses on the screen. I want you to look at this Micah chapter 6. And then I'm going to give you a few things that God is looking for. It says here in this scripture that he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? So how many like when God answers an, a question directly? Like I, I love when I have a question and I get a direct answer. 
I don't like, you know, maybe this, maybe that. Just tell me exactly what it is. So I say, God, what are you looking for? Micah says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Now, if you begin to read those things right there, how many know that being just and being merciful and walking humbly are absolutely 100% contrary to who we are? That's not our natural person. That's not what we wake up in the morning feeling like. We don't wake up in the morning and say, man, I cannot wait to love somebody this morning. I cannot wait to be just. Man, I just, I'm, man, hurry up time. I got to go be just to somebody right now. I just have this, this desire to be merciful to somebody this morning. Man, I just can't wait to be humble. Oh, I just, we don't wake up that way. But that's what God is looking for. God looks for things that are totally the opposite of what we would look for. He looks inside a person's life, and he doesn't look at a physical appearance. And we're going to see that right now in 1 Samuel 16. If you've got your Bibles, read this with me. Verse 1. And I think that when we leave this morning, we're going to have a great perspective about what God is looking for. It's not cosmetic surgery. It's not things that we put on as a facade. God is looking for something. I'm going to show you in the scriptures exactly what that is and kind of go against what we think a lot of times is important. And how many know a lot of times the way we think is what we could almost call stinking thinking? Right? Stinking thinking. Like we have to change the way we think. When we, we, we look at the world in carnal eyes, we look at the world different than the way God wants us to look. And so that's why we come to church like this. That's why we get discipled. That's why we pray. That's why we read the Bible. So that we can begin to learn how to look at the world the way God looks at the world. So as we pick up here in verse 1, David is, or sorry, Samuel, it says in verse 1, is hearing from God, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? So Saul has messed up. He's God's king. And he's messed up. And he says, Seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, he says, Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel says, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And watch this. I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. You know what all of our desires should be this morning? That we would be the one. That we would be the one God is looking for. Now, the cool thing is God isn't just looking for one this morning. He's looking for many. A matter of fact, I don't have this on the verses, but 2 Chronicles chapter 12, I believe, mentions that his eyes are going to and fro all over the earth looking for whom he can use, looking for people who love justice and mercy and walk humbly. And so this morning, we need to come in and say, God, look at me, look at me, look at me, but not in the sense of a beauty pageant. Not in the sense of abilities. Not in the sense of talents. We're going to see here that God looks for something different than we, in our carnal minds, think. Like a lot of times, when you look at things that need to be done in life, we have a certain person that could come to mind. Man, that person will do a great job for that. Or this is the person for that. Because we look at their abilities. And thank God for abilities. How many want somebody with ability working on your car? 
Amen. I, I would rather have somebody who's taken five engines apart and put them back together than somebody who's just been to school. Amen. Same with a doctor. I want someone working on me that has opened up some people before. I want someone with some experience and some ability. But God doesn't look the same way we do. So we kind of think, okay, this is who God's going to use. This is the person God's going to call. And, and, and what's cool about this is, is that we might be here this morning thinking, how could God use me? You heard Jesse say that as he got up here and said, I never thought I'd be up here leading singing in a song, in a song service, especially when he was in, in a life full of drugs. I guarantee you his wife never thought that, amen? She's super excited to see the, what, he, what God's doing in his life. But we sit back and we go, man, how can you use me, God? And, and you know what? I'm going to tell you something. That attitude right there is actually a good beginning to the battle. That attitude right there, how can you use me? Why? Because it's humble. Okay? Now watch. Let's continue here. What was the verse I finished? Three, three, right? So verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord said, went to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming. And they said, do you come peaceably? He said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. God's doing something here. How many of you know as we read these verses, like, God, what are you doing? How many have ever been just knowing God's doing something, but you don't really know what? Right? That's a lot of life a lot of times. You're like, God, I don't know what you're doing right now, but you're doing something, so I'm just going to go with this. So as we're, even as we're reading this, we're like, what is God doing? So verse 6 says, so it was when they came that he looked, this is Samuel looking, at Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So right here in verse 6, we see this, and here's the thought, just in case you haven't followed this yet. Saul has messed up. Samuel is going to choose a new king. Actually, God is, but God, he's going to show Samuel who it is. And so he says, go call all of Jesse's sons. Now, Samuel in his mind is thinking, in his mind, this is where the carnal mind is, I've got to pick somebody stronger than Saul, bigger than Saul, more handsome than Saul. We need a good leader. And so Samuel in his mind is already thinking about who God's man is. Okay? Okay. That's what we do. We begin to say, this is the person that's going to do that, and this is the person that's going to go there. And th So this pers first person comes in, Eliab, and out of all the men that are going to come in, he goes, oh, that's him. Oh, that's, that's him right there. That's the one. So he begins to size them up. He begins to think, that, that, man, that's got to be him. And, you know, he's kind of guessing who it's going to be. And, and he says, this has got to be him. But watch what he says in verse 7. If you don't get anything else out of this message, pay attention to verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, watch this, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him. Now, real quick before I go on, don't think that God re refuses everybody that's tall and handsome and has talents. That's not the point. He's not choosing him for that. He's showing, he, so that is not disqualifying somebody who's got those qualities. But he's, he's saying, you're looking at the wrong angle. You're not looking for what I'm looking for. How many have read the Bible enough to know that God never does things the way we think he would do it? He never does things the, the way we think. That's why one of my favorite verses is in Isaiah 55 where he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. He says, I'm, you know, he's basically saying, 
if, however you think I'm going to do it, I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to do it just totally different. So don't try to figure God out, okay? He says, not his physical stature, because I've refused. And watch this, second part of seven. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. Now here's the key to the message. But the Lord looks at what? The heart. Father, I pray this morning that you'd anoint your word just for a few minutes and I ask that you'd speak to us and challenge us. And Lord, open up our hearts to become the anointed people you want us to be so that we can do something for the kingdom of God. Lord, we know that every day that goes by, you have a plan for us, a purpose for us. And the ultimate purpose is that we would go to heaven and we would take people with us. We ask that that anointing would rest on us as we learn what you are looking for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So he goes on there, verse 8, I'm going to continue to read. and says, Jesse calls Abinadab, passes before Samuel. Nope, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Verse 9, then Shammah comes in. Nope, this is not the one I've chosen. And then Jesse made seven of his sons pass by. So seven qualified in the eyes of a man walked by. And Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Is this all you got? And he basically says in verse 11, Samuel says to Jesse, are all the young men here? And then he says, well, there remains yet the youngest. And watch this. If you, if you have your Bible there, if you, if you uh, underline things or highlight things, or if you have it on your phone, highlight this, underline this. This is so powerful. He says right here, there he is keeping the sheep. Pay attention to that. Keeping the sheep. So he is what number one that I want you to write down this morning is doing to, to, for God to look for. One thing God is looking for is action. Action. He's looking for action. How many know that, 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 that saying is so cliche but so true? Action speaks louder than words. It'll, talk is cheap. These men were probably looking in the mirror, looking in their closet, doing whatever they were doing to look physically right, and they're you know, trying to supposedly be in the position that God's looking for. But the, the difference is, is David is working. David is busy. He's out tending to the sheep. And so Samuel says to Jesse, bring him in, send him in, bring him in. We will not sit down until he comes here. So he brought him in, verse 12, and it says he was ruddy with bright eyes. And it does say he was good looking. It doesn't say he was ugly, but that's not what God was looking for. And how many know when you're doing the will of God, you look good? Amen? You look better when you're doing the will of God. All around, everything in life is better when you're doing the right thing. He says, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. How many want God to see you this morning and say, that's the one right there, amen? That should be the desire of all of us. Lord, I want to be one of those. I want to be one of your chosen. And so he brings him in, and look at verse 13. He says, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So I want us to look at just a few things here in the life of David that we can try to have in our own lives. 
that we should desire in our own lives. Number one was action. That I would be a person of action. When you are busy, God is, is pleased. Okay, Now, not just busy, but this is why I kind of throw this in there. Why we try to teach you so much to stay active in your reading of the word every day. This is why we try to teach you to stay in prayer. This is why we try so hard to say, hey, every time the doors are open at church, get to church. This is why we say, hey, let's, let's be conscious about doing outreach. Let's be conscious about taking those Jesus cards and passing them out to people. Let's be active. How many know that if you're active in your faith, you're going to be strong? If you look at, at your life this morning and, 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 you, and you begin to, to stop reading the Bible and stop praying, and you know sometimes it's like, man, they say that all the time. Why they talk so much about praying and reading the Bible? Because it, it'd be like someone saying, why they talk so much about eating? You have to eat. I think you mentioned it on, what, what would you do if you went a week or two weeks without eating? You can't do that. Oh, you mentioned an anaconda. My brother-in-law mentioned an anaconda. How often do they eat? Twice a month, we'd all be dead, right? Eat twice a month. That, it, you can't do that. You can't eat twice a month and live. It's the same way with the Word of God. You've got to read it every day. You've got to stay active in your faith. You've got to stay active in your prayers. And when you do that, you're in a place where God says, I can use that person. I can use that person. Now, the second one, this goes alongside here, is that you are available. You're available. So a lot of times... We think, man, God's looking at my ability. Can I sing? Can I act? Can I do this? Can I do that? And God is saying, I'm not looking for your uh, uh, ability. What is he looking for? Your availability. He's looking that you'd say, God, here I am. Use me. Do something in me. I, I, I don't know what I can do. I don't have very many talents, but I'm here. I'm here. I'm, I want to try to be used by you. And now, this is a really cool point, the availability. Because as you read this, uh, I'm going to read another verse here in a second on this number two, availability. This is huge because David has now become king. Okay? David has been anointed as king, and now he is what we would say the man. Okay? He's the man. He's the leader. He's God's man. Can you imagine? I mean, we all can get a little prideful if someone tells us we're doing something good or whatever. Can you imagine being God's man? Like directly straight from God, like you're my man. That would be easily, easily be a reason to have some pride. But watch what David does. He shows this availability here, and this is so important. And we saw this in Jesus, where Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. Nobody ever gets to a place where they don't need to do anything anymore. Nobody ever gets to a place where, where they, they've arrived. They don't need discipleship anymore. They don't need teaching anymore. They don't need someone speaking their life anymore. This is an interesting thing. Most of you know the story that as Saul began to make bad decisions, the Bible says that a spirit from God came upon him and would make him miserable. How many know that story? It would, make, it would be tormented by the, by the Spirit of God, and, and, and this is the Spirit that comes upon a backslider. This is the Spirit that comes upon somebody who, as we say, lets something get in their crawl. Where you allow things around you to make your attitude wrong. Where you begin to get negative and you begin to get, to get, to, to, to get uh, uh, everything is, is, is wrong and you're right and everything's, you're, 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 everybody's a squirrel in your world. It's just all about you. When we get that way, 
that's dangerous. But David, that's what Saul did. So David had this tormenting spirit on him so strong. And so whenever he'd get tormented, he says, please send David in to play the harp. And every time he would do that, he would feel better. So watch verse 23, right there in 1 Samuel 16. It's, or let's look at 22. Saul sent to Jesse and says, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. Pay attention to, attention to this. He says, And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. And Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. This is so powerful to me because David is in a place of power. David is now king. Saul is an ex-king. Saul is a rebel. Saul is somebody who has done wrong. Saul is somebody who has something in his crawl. Saul is somebody who's got the wrong spirit and is in a bad place and he's being tormented by God in the sense of I shouldn't be doing this. It's funny sometimes when someone gets to a place like that, and we don't ever want ourselves to get to that place, where we are tormented by a spirit that we've brought on ourselves. Can I get a better amen on that? We've brought that on ourselves. How many know all Saul had to do was repent? All I had to do was say, man, my attitude was wrong. And it doesn't mean he would have become king again, but he could have been restored and refreshed all the time instead of just when David would come in and play his harp. But here's a powerful picture of humility. David says, I'm available. I'm available to you. Shouldn't we be like that as Christians? Someone's done us wrong. Someone's hurt us. Someone stepped on us. Someone said, well, we're still going to be here for you. I'm going to let that be, be bygones be bygones. I'm going to let the past be the past as a as, uh, as, uh, Brian said, and I'm going to let the, that, that be gone. I'm going to look towards the future. And as we do that, there's something powerful in that because the Bible says it's like reaping coals, hot coals on our enemy's head when we love them. They expect us to treat them a certain way, and we just treat them with love. And we just keep believing in them. And we just keep saying, I think this person can change. I think this person can make it. And so he goes, and he's available to serve Saul being the king. He could have said, what? Tell someone else to go play for Saul. I'm the king now. I'm not going to go play for him. See the picture of humility as he walks into that room. He's the king, but he serves and plays the harp. And I just did this. That's not how you play a harp. Shows how good, much of a musician I am. Amen. Number three, accountability. Somebody tell me, stay there for a minute. Thank you for that one person. I'm going to preach to you, whoever that was. Stay there for a minute. Accountability. We need accountability. We need to want accountability. We need to say, God, put someone in my life that's going to speak the truth to me. Put someone in my life that's going to tell me that I'm wrong about something. Put someone in my life that's going to show me my errors. A godly person that has the anointing on them is somebody who looks for correction, not runs from it. 
So David, make it fast forwarding here, and I'm, and I'm closing, don't worry, uh, for those of you that are bored. Proverbs 27.5, amen, watch this, let's put this up there, Chris, this is important, uh, th- to have this kind of attitude. Proverbs 27.5, an open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. An open rebuke is better. Now, some people would take this verse and be like, that's what I do every day, man. I just walk around and rebuke people all the time. That's what I do. I just, people don't like me because I just tell them the truth. That's not what we're talking about here. I have a saying that I believe with all my heart. If anybody wants to be the anointed one of God, get this. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. Take that home with you. If you want to rebuke somebody, love them first. Get a relationship with them first. Then, then speak that life into them. Amen? An open rebuke. So, but you have to, it's a two-way street. You have to want to be able to be accountable, and you also have to be accountable. You also want people to speak into your life. You also have to speak into other people's lives. Can't give what you don't have. So this is important because David, how many know the story? David messed up. Bad. How many know David messed up bad? We know the end result here. We don't know what our end result is, although we know what God wants it to be. David messed up bad. In the, few, in the following chapters, he, and here's the important thing, and I don't want to lose this point here. It's important. He goes from, and I'm going to, I'm going to close with this. He goes from, because time's not allowing me to, to go further. He goes from being active, which is number one, to inactive. Watch yourself when you get inactive. Watch yourself when you start sitting back and doing nothing. Because when you become inactive, the devil becomes active. In the place where David was chosen, what was he doing? Working with the sheep. Humbling himself. Serving Saul. Playing the harp. Doing all the stuff he's supposed to do with the right attitude and a heart of of availability. But now in the story later we see that one time everybody's going off to war and David says, I'm going to chill. I'm I'm sitting this one out. I'm tired. I'm, I'm, I'm lazy. I need to sleep. I need to rest. And, he, and everybody's out at war. He's supposed to be out there as the leader at war. He stays home. And what happens? He's out on the roof, looks over to another roof, and sees Bathsheba bathing. Lusts on her, calls the servants, tells them to bring her to him, has an affair with her, commits adultery with her, Gets her pregnant. I've always said Jerry Springer's got nothing on the Bible. Right? Nothing. <laughs> That's what I love about the Bible. It's real straightforward, okay? They couldn't even make these things up. Gets her pregnant. Then, on top of that, goes and covers it up by killing his, her, her husband, Uriah. So he has done all this horrible stuff. But then we see his spirit, and, I'm, and I'll have you write it down today for time because I don't have time to get into it. 2 Samuel chapter 12, you just write that down. I'm not going to read any of it. He goes, and, and, and it'd be good homework for you, 2 Samuel chapter 12, 1 to 14, I think. He goes, and, uh, and, and, and God sends Nathan to him. Say this with me. God put somebody in my life that will speak to me when I need to hear it. God uses people. 
There's times he'll speak to us directly, but God uses people. He uses people in my life. I thank God for my pastor and my pastors, people in my life who have corrected me at times and, 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 and put me in and, and saved me from things. Save me from things. You can only be as good of a pastor as you are able to be pastored. You can only be as good of a disciple as you're able to be discipled. You, have to, you can't disciple people if you don't let people disciple you. It's, it's a two-way street. So I thank God for all the things God saved me from. And in this story, watch, stay here. I know my daughter's beautiful. She comes up to the piano, but stay here. She, Nathan rebukes him, rebukes him. An open rebuke is better than love concealed. She, he, Nathan rebukes him, does a little parable, says all this stuff, and David's listening. He's like, man, whoever did that needs to die. That's what he says. How, how many times are we guilty of that? We hear the story. We're like, oh, that person needs to pay. And God says, I'm talking about you. Yeah, that's what they do in Mexico, if anybody doesn't know. He says, I'm talking. He says, man, that, that person is dying. Nathan says, that person is you. You know, point the finger, three fingers back. Always look in the mirror. He said, that person is you. And he rebukes David. And then in verse about 11, David says, I have sinned. I have sinned. I, I confess. I'm wrong. I, I've made a mistake. I'm sorry. And then we know that the rest of the Bible teaches us in Psalms 51 that David gets to a place where the Bible says he's has, he is a man after God's own heart. So God is not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at our hearts this morning. And he's looking for people that are available. He's looking people for people that are accountable. And the last thing is he's looking for people with a pure heart. A pure heart. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and let not your spirit be taken from me. Renew a steadfast, how many know steadfast is consistent spirit within me. And I want to give you just two things to write down. In that same Psalms, he says, the sacrifices of God, verse 17 of Psalm 51, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. When you're humble, God can work with you. And the last verse I want you to see, this is a verse I have on my desk that I try to, try to remind myself of. It's Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. It says, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. How many, how many lately have realized how big God is? It's big. And it's very humbling to think that that big God would use me and would use you. And would talk to you. He says, where is the place of my rest? And then look at verse 2. My hand has made all. You know, if anybody can be prideful, it's God. God can boast. God can boast. He says, I've made all these things with my hand. And by my hand, all these things exist. But watch this. This is the one. I asked you in the beginning, what's God looking for? This is the one I'll look at. Him who is poor. Not poor financially. This is, not, this is a spirit thing. And of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. So there's some things here that as we close up this morning, we can look at and say, God, what areas in my life, as you bow your heads and close your eyes, action, availability, accountability, a pure heart, which one of those areas in my life this morning is an area that I need to work on? 
Maybe I need to work on them all. Maybe I need to be more active. Maybe I need to make myself more available this morning. Maybe I need to be more accountable. I know I need to work on making sure my heart is pure. And that nothing's getting in. And I'm guarding your word as your word says so that I won't sin against it. God, there's a lost world out there today. There's a harvest of souls to be won. There are people that are going to come through this parking lot today because they want some candy for their kids. Because they want to fulfill a Sunday out with the family. They're going to come through this parking lot, God, and we got to have an opportunity to make ourselves available to them. This week at work, there's going to be people that will walk by us at work. There's going to be people in the lunchroom. There's going to be people at school that I need to be active with. I need to show them the love of God. Father, I want your anointing on me this morning. I want your, your power on me. I want that oil that breaks the chains of bondage to be in my life. I want to be used by you, God. Father, create in me today a heart that's after God, like David. What a blessing to know, not that we can mess up so we, so we can just go mess up on purpose, but that when we fail, when we fall short, you're able and just to forgive us of our sins. This morning, how many people all over this place, from front to back and side to side, may be listening to this message. You're here right now. God is working on you. He's speaking to you now. And inside of your spirit, inside of your heart, God is saying, you're not right with me. You're not right with me. If you died today, you would spend eternity away from me, not because I don't love you, but because you have rejected me and my plan for your life. I need to be Lord. If you're not with God, you're against him. He loves you this morning with an end and love that does not end. He'll love you all the way to hell if that's where you choose to go. But maybe you're here and you say, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of making the wrong choices. And today I'm coming home. Or today I've never, made a, I've never said a sinner's prayer. I've never asked Jesus into my life and I need to be saved. How many would say, that's me? Just put your hand up all over this place and say, pray with me this morning, Pastor. I need Jesus. I need to be born again. Maybe you said that prayer at some time in your life. But you've been running and you need to come home today. Lord, I'm going to get things right today. Today's the day, the Bible says. I'm going to make everybody have the opportunity this morning to put Jesus first. Say, that's me. Just put it up and put it right back down. I need that this morning. Amen. God sees your hands. God sees it. God sees it. Amen. Honest hearts. Amen. This is a decision you're making. You're saying, God, I need, I need to change. Change me this morning. As we stand to our feet this morning. We're going to give you an opportunity to say that prayer. I want to ask right now, anybody in here that would be honest with God, listen, you can pray at your seat. You can come to this altar. We're going to sing a song for a few minutes. But this is, this is the part of the service we take action. What we do for the next few minutes as we worship the Lord is we, is we say, God, you spoke to me in an area of my life right there. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with that right now. Just like when I said in the beginning, nobody here came this morning and said, man, I, I, I just got it together. They ain't, I don't, I, no one's got it all together on all four of these things. 
There's areas that God is working on to be more active, to be more available, to be more accountable, to have a heart that's pure unto Him. So as we begin to sing, I'm going to open up the altars. Let's just take a few minutes. And we'll be dismissed in just a moment. And let's just spend a few minutes with God. Let's just spend a few minutes talking about these things with the Holy Spirit. Amen. And letting Him work on us. Yeah.